0: Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, September 20th, 2020, we continue our series titled, The Ideal, A Study in Colossians. Today's sermon, The Ideal Calling, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Enjoy. Um, This last week, uh, football was back on. Yeah! Yeah. Woo! Woo! That's kind of how I feel about it too, right? Like I don't... (laughs) Uh, I I like sports. I grew up playing a lot of sports, so I still enjoy sports. If I'm going to watch a game with friends and family, I enjoy that. But just watching sports isn't, um, a big deal of mine. But playing them was. I loved playing sports, especially teams, team sports, right? Because everyone has their part to play. And this, this awesome thing happens, this fantastic thing happens when everyone plays their position. Um, you experience that in baseball, right? Like a first base does what first base does, shortstop does a shortstop does. I would feel like if everyone plays their part, something really great happens. Um, same thing with music, right? When everyone plays their part, something awesome happens. But if someone just went off the rails and they were like, I'm playing in a different key now, we'd all be like, something's not right here. It's a little frustrating, someone just went astray and did their own thing. Um, Playing football, I loved playing football in high school, wasn't very good at football, went to a small little Christian school, so everyone was on the team, it was really, really fun. Uh, And there was, the, the worst part of football was this one day every week, and it was film day. Film day was awful, because there was always this dreaded moment where a coach would push pause and you knew what happened next, because the play he paused it on was the one where Hugh like, really messed it up, right? So you knew what was coming, and he'd say something like, Slager! And I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> and we're on defense. He says, what position do you play? I said, I play defensive end, and that's the guy on the end, and my main job is contain, so don't let anyone with the ball run outside of me. Even the guy blocking, I wanna channel them in so everyone else can do their job, right? If I play my part they play their part, everything's fantastic, it's, it's awesome. But he'd say, what position do you play? And I'd say, I, I, I play defensive end. And he'd say, what does a defensive end do? And I'd say, um, we're supposed to contain. <laughs> he says, uh, did you contain there? No. Right, and it was this like all eyes on me moment where I knew like, man, I had a position. There was something I was supposed to do. I had my part to play and I didn't do it. Right. I, knew what, I knew what the position was, the coaches had like, equipped me with everything that I needed, the playbook, it worked, and, and when everything worked the right way, it was like clockwork, it was fantastic. But when one guy failed to do their job, it was rather frustrating. And what I love about the Bible, and what I love about the church, church is like team. It's like a team sport, we are team Jesus. And on team Jesus, everyone has a part to play. Everyone is given a position. Not only is everyone given a position, but everyone is given the power they need to play that position. And the purpose behind the position is Jesus himself and glorifying him. That's what we're gonna see today is that Paul knew his position, that Paul had the power to play it, and that Paul did it all to the glory of God. So as I said, Colossians chapter one, we're in verses 24 through 29. I'll read it for us, um, and then we'll ask for God's help in prayer. which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. God, though it's my voice that's been heard, we know it's your word that's been spoken, and this morning we trust in your word as the authority for our life. God, we don't trust in our Facebook feed, we don't trust in any agendas, we trust in you. So God, this morning, would you align our hearts with yours, Holy Spirit, would you give us our minds to know, eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to respond in love in obedience to what you're calling us to today. And God, would you do all of this for your glory and your glory alone. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, amen. Three different points to guide us through the passage this morning. The first point is this, the mission given to Paul. The mission given to Paul. It begins in verse 24, and we see it in verse 25 as well. He begins with this, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. If you're familiar with Paul, I mean, Paul's life was a struggle. It was constant suffering, right? Constant, constant suffering. In fact, when he wrote this letter to the church of Colossians, he's actually in prison, not just Colossians, but he was in prison when he wrote Ephesians, he was in prison when he wrote Philippians, he was in prison when he wrote Colossians, and he was in prison when he wrote Philemon. We like to think of prison ministry as like going in to do ministry, but for Paul, prison ministry was like, it's cool if I'm locked up, I'll just keep ministering outside the walls. It never stopped him. No matter what he did, he was on mission. And his mission was full of suffering. If you look at Second Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about how he can boast and how he's been all through all these different things. And he, he gives us this list. Of, Man, I've been beaten a bunch for Jesus. I've been whipped for Jesus. I've been shipwrecked for Jesus. I've been abandoned for Jesus. One of the things he lists is like often without, without food and clothing, so nakedness as a part of his suffering, which is kind of hard to comprehend. Like how, how do you preach Jesus in such a way where afterwards, you end up naked, I don't understand. But clearly, the way he suffered was very different from the way that we suffer today. In fact, the calling that God had on his life, suffering was a part of it. If you look at the book of Acts, when Jesus calls Paul to ministry, in Acts chapter nine, verse 16, Jesus says, for I will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Mission is tied with suffering. We know this from Jesus, right? Jesus in John chapter 15, he says, hey, remember this. If they hate you, it's because they hated who first? It's because they hate Jesus. Christians suffer because Jesus suffered. But he says he rejoices. He rejoices in his suffering. If you go back earlier in chapter one, Paul says, man, we always thank God. We rejoice. We rejoice even though we're suffering for your sake. Well, what's going on with this people that's giving him so much reason to rejoice? In verse four, it says, man, we thank God. Why? Because of your faith in Jesus. The suffering's worth it because now you have a faith in Jesus. He says, we thank God. Why else? The love that you have for all the saints. Man, the suffering is worth it because I see your love for Jesus and I see your love for Jesus' people. He says, we always thank God. Why? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. He's able to rejoice in his suffering because through his ministry, through his pain, through his calling, through his suffering, people are coming to Jesus and that is the reason he can rejoice. Okay, for Paul, the suffering is worth it when what's gained is better than what's given up. Let me say it again. Suffering is worth it when what's gained is better than what's given up. Okay, if you ever go on a diet or you exercise, this is why you do it. It's intentional suffering, right? I mean, you submit yourself to a process of pain at a gym and no one's like, man, if someone, I love working out. You don't, okay, you just don't. If someone said, "I, I love working out, they also love lying. They love lying to your face. Okay, because that feeling of like, I can't breathe, right, combined with like, everything hurts, no one's like, yeah, I'm all about that, <laughs> okay, but, but when you give up your personal comfort for a moment, what you gain is worth it, right, you go on a diet, you're not going on a diet because you hate the idea of donuts, right, you're not like, I'm just going to give up donuts, that'd be fun, no, it's not, it's not fun at all. Right, But the purpose, I'm willing to give up something if what I gain is better. Okay, I'm willing to give up sugary sweets and donuts and, and, and drinking things and eating things that, that are gonna make me unhealthy because there's more health as a result. This is the way it works in Paul's life and this is the way it should work in our mission as well. We're willing to suffer because we gain something that's better than what we give up in the first place. For Paul, what's gained is, man, people love Jesus, people love Jesus' as people, and they have this hope that they have, this foundation level of hope of no matter what happens in life, I've got Jesus. For Paul, that's worth it. He makes this shocking statement in the second half of 24. He says, in my flesh I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions, which is a weird thing to say, because if I remember Jesus on the cross, he said something like, it is finished, it's done, it's complete. So if Jesus said that, then what's lacking? Like, what's lacking in that? Okay, what Paul's talking about is nothing lacking in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. That's not what he's saying, but what he's saying is there's still suffering to be done. We lack because there's still pain to endure. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse five, it talks about how we're called to share in Christ's suffering. Or if you look at Acts 26, when Jesus shows up to Paul on this road to Damascus, he asks him this question. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Which is interesting because if you study the life of Paul, Paul never persecuted Jesus directly that we know of. He didn't spit on him, he didn't hit him, he didn't beat him, he didn't insult him. Yet here you have Christ saying, why are you persecuting me? Okay, what we're gonna see later on in this passage that Christians have Christ in them and when Christians suffer, Christ suffers because Christ is in you. Okay, my hope and prayer this morning is that that would be a blow mind for you, that you'd realize God Almighty is living inside of you and that there's a different type of life that you can live that you're not currently living. Nothing's lacking in what Christ did for us on the cross, but there's still suffering that we endure if we embrace the mission of God. In verse 25, he says, of which I became a minister, this church, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And that word minister there is like servant. Okay, we don't want to think professional clergy. Okay, Paul had like a spiritual gift of pastor and he oversaw a lot of churches. He also had a full-time job. You know this? He wasn't just traveling missionary, he was a tent maker. He made tents. That was his full-time gig. Like if you're a builder, you're like doing what Paul did. You are building homes. You're providing a place for someone to live. That was his full-time job. But to the church, God made him a minister, a servant. And he says this, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. In other words, God gave me a job to do. God gave me a specific purpose, a specific position to go and play. A little recap on Paul. Paul is like a super Jewish religious leader. Okay, He, he, like he's made it. Okay, when I, when I was growing up, like everyone wanted to be like Mike. Like wanted to be like Michael Jordan. Right? They want to be like Mike. Okay, in his context, all the little Jewish boys and girls who were studying to be Jewish leaders, they want to be like Paul. That's who they want to be like. Paul has, he's, has arrived. He has reached the pinnacle of his job. And what's his job? Well, as a Jew, it means two things. One, he does not like Gentiles. Okay, because to the Jews, Gentiles are unclean. Gentiles don't know God. Gentiles aren't a part of God's family, so we don't associate with those people. Secondly, as a Jew, he really didn't like Christians, especially not their Jesus. In fact, when Jesus shows up to him on a road in just a moment here, Paul was on his way to go persecute more Christians, to beat him up, to throw him into prison, to potentially have him killed. And then God shows up, and typically when God shows up, something's about to happen. Acts 26, 15 through 18, Paul asked the question, and I said, who are you, Lord? Right. He's on this road, bright light shows up, falls to his knees, he's blinded, and he asks the question, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. How much fun would that conversation have been, right? I'm Jesus, the guy that you're killing people for. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Here's your position. Here's what you're meant to do. To appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, get this, to whom I am sending you, open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul BC, okay, Paul before Christ, who is he? He's a Jewish leader who hates Gentiles and hates Christians. Uh, Now Paul meets Jesus, what's he gonna do? Well, now he's a Christian preaching Jesus, the guy he used to hate, to Gentiles, to people he previously did not want to associate with. You see the radical transformation that's happened in the life of Paul. Paul meets Jesus and Jesus gives him this specific task, this specific calling, a specific position to go and play. And just like Paul has a job, just like Paul has a position to play, so you and I also have a position to play. There's a part for us. There's a unique assignment. There's something God has for us to go and do. God calls us, we saw this last week, God calls us into a relationship with him. Right, that like churning of your heart to respond to the gospel. But God calls you into a relationship and then he calls us, if we look at Matthew 28, to participate him on mission. It's a great commission. Go make disciples of all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That's the mission, that's what we're trying to do. Right, we're trying to love God like this church did, trying to love people like this church did, and we're trying to make disciples like this church was doing. That's what God has called us to do. He's called us all into a relationship, called us all on mission, and then called each of us individually and specifically to carry out a unique task on that mission. For Paul, it's preach Jesus to Gentiles. That was his specific task. Each of us have a task. If we look at Romans chapter 12, verses four through six, Paul talks about us as a body, like team Jesus as a body. It says, for as in one body, one team, we have many members, many positions, And the members do not all have the same function, right? First base, play first base, not left field, just do your job. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And then verse six says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. The church is a body, the church is a team. It's not just full of hands, right? It's not just full of feet, it's not a body just full of legs, right? A foot without a leg can never get to where it's supposed to go. A hand without a foot can never grab the thing it's supposed to grab. An eye without a hand can never look at it up closely. Everything is connected. Each of us have a part to play. Each of us have a position within Team Jesus. Every single one of us. And what I love about this in verse six, it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. In other words, God hasn't just called you to play this position without helping you play it. He's given you a job, but then giving you all the power and the talent and the skill that you need to go and do the job. To play the position that he has called you to play. Now, fortunately for Paul, identifying what the job was was a rather easy thing, okay? He's on his way to kill some Christians. Jesus shows up and says, we're doing a new thing now. I don't know what your story is. Mine's not like that. I heard a story last week about this this guy who was driving down a back road in Alabama and his friends were speeding and they hit a pothole. He wasn't buckled up and the car began to roll and spin. He said he was ejected and he slid on his backside for 150 yards and it was in that moment he felt that he heard the voice of God clearly calling him into full-time pastoral ministry. That ain't my story. Okay, my story is I go to college because I'm thinking exercise science would be cool. And guess what? That might be cool for you, it is not cool for me. That's not the job, that's not what I want to do. I don't, you gotta be good at science to do exercise science? Who would have thought that was part of the role? (laughs) And for me, it was, I I like doing church stuff a lot. I grew up here involved in student ministries and grew up here watching God do awesome things with our church, I like that was pretty cool. I got to teach Bible studies in high school a little bit, like even with some of my teachers, like that was kind of neat. I got to speak on missions trips, like that was pretty cool. And the more I thought about it, it was like, I I think I kind of just want to do that other thing that I used to do a lot. Maybe that's what God has for my life. So then you just try to be faithful and see what happens. Right, follow Jesus, walk through a door if it's open. And I don't know if you know this, doors that are closed, they actually can open if you use the handle. (laughs) right because sometimes christians just say you know when one door closes another one's opens and i'm just looking for that open door well maybe you just look for a door knock on it if it's locked you can't get in maybe open it up and explore it maybe you're wondering man what's the next thing what's the next assignment god has for me maybe you're retiring soon and you're trying to feel like what's the next is there a career is there something else Is there something i'm supposed to spend my time doing and and all the doors looked closed like i tried to try opening them Check them out. They might open for you. There might be something really cool behind that door that God has for you. Each and every one of us has a position to play. The question is, do you know yours? Do you know your calling, as we like to say? If you don't, we want to help you. Um, In the month of October, we're going to offer a four-week strategy class, and the whole purpose will be this. We're clarifying God's calling for your life. That's what we're going to try to do. Look at spiritual giftings. Like, what is the spiritual gifting, right? The Bible says that God gifts us um, so that we can go accomplish the task He's given our hands to do. He doesn't just put us out on the field and say, play your best. He actually puts us on the field, gives us the playbook, and then equips us to go do the thing He's asked us to do. If you're not sure what your calling is, I'd encourage you, come be a part of that class. It's going to be great. Each of us have been stewarded a position to play by God. Are you playing your position? The second thing we see in the passage is the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of of the gospel. Verse 26 talks about this mystery. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. In other words, something previously unknown. And if you remember this church, there was this group called the Gnostics out on the fringes who were trying to pull people in and their whole thing was, man, if you're trying to like, reach perfection, that's gonna come from knowledge and understanding and only us, only this group of Gnostics have the secret mysteries and the secret meanings to life. And here Paul says, you wanna know the mystery? I'll tell you the mystery. Verse 27, he says this, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Here's the mystery, Christ in you. This is the mystery. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is an important distinction to make. This isn't Christ and me, although that's true. This isn't Christ with me, although that's true also. This isn't Christ before me because he's outside of time and sees everything, although that's true. This isn't Christ above me, although he's way above me, way beyond me. All of those things are true. The mystery is Christ what? In me. In Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17, we we saw who this Jesus is. We saw the power this Jesus has. It said Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus, by Jesus, and for Jesus. Everything. He's the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And that same guy the Bible talks about, where is he living? In me. See, the tragedy is a lot of Christians live this Christ and me lifestyle, right? Right? like going through life on a tandem bike. I pedal the best I can, and when I can't pedal anymore, I give it over to Jesus. One pastor put it like doing a tag team or wrestling match. Right, we go in, and we struggle, and we toil, and we do our best, and we fight through life, and we claw our way through life, and try to do the best things, and then when we're tired and can't handle anymore, what do we do? Right, Jesus, take the wheel. We just, tired. we're like, Jesus, you're in. And we tap him in, and we're like, oh man. Life's exhausting. It's so much better when Jesus just does it. And then we sit back and relax and, and watch him do all the things. And then when we've recovered, this is what we do, right? When we've wiped the sweat from our brow, when we've recovered from the pain, the trial, the tragedy, or whatever it might be, then we reach our hand back out, and we're like, Jesus, give me the wheel. I've got it. Then what happens? He's like, good luck, tags us back in. And then, but that's not the way we're meant to live. Christians are not meant to live a Christ and us lifestyle It's Christ in us. Amen. Christ in us, submitting to his will, submitting to his power, allowing him to live. Galatians 2 talks about how, man, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives inside of me. How all this works, I'm not sure. I'm glad he says it's a mystery. <laughs> but what I know for a fact is that Christ is alive in each and every one of us if we profess Christ as Lord. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says this, in him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed. Okay, believed isn't just like I believe that Jesus existed. This, this word believe is trust. If, if you trust in him, if I trust what? If I trust that he came and lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, that he came and died the death that you and I deserve to die, that he came and rose from death, defeating death so that you and I could truly have life in Christ. When we trust in what God has done for us, then we enter into a relationship with Christ and it says this, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I think about it in the movies, right? When an important letter gets sent and another king receives a letter and on back of the envelope, there's normally what? Like a seal, right? It's the king's seal. This is what God has done for us. We have the king's seal in our life, why? Because if we profess Christ, if we trust in Christ, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. It's sealed seal that says, no, it's, it's, it's legit. It's, it's real. That kid is mine. What else does God do in our life? John 16, eight through 11 says that he convicts us of sin. That the Holy Spirit in our life, Christ in our life convicts us of sin. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What that basically means is that, that God is gonna come into our life and, and he's gonna show us who we are, who we truly are. Hey, okay, we're gonna see ourselves the way God sees us. We're gonna see ourselves with his eyes, that he would convict us of sin, that we'd repent and that we'd turn from our evil ways and walk in a way that glorifies Jesus. What else does God do in our life? What else does Christ in us mean? He also provides strength. 1 Corinthians 12, verses four through seven says this, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, All right? It's not like we have a different Jesus living inside of us. It's the same spirit living in me, same spirit living in you, same spirit that lived in Paul. It's the same God. The same spirit, and there are varieties of service, right? Different positions to play but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. God gifts me to go and do the work he's called me to do. He doesn't just say, got a job for you, best of luck. He gives us a task, he gives us an assignment, he gives us a calling, he calls us into a relationship with him and then calls us to go and live a life for him and then he equips us so that we're living a Christ in me life, that my power comes from him and not from anything else. God's called us into a relationship, he's called us to participate in his mission and he's given us a position to play on the mission. Our power comes from him and the purpose, which Paul goes to next, the purpose is God's glory and that's it. The third thing we see is the message we proclaim. The message we proclaim. Verse 28 says, him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. We is us, we is the team. Team Jesus proclaims Jesus. That's the one thing Team Jesus proclaims. It's not the pastor's job, it's not the small group leader's job only, it's not his job, her job, it's not your parents' job, it's not your kids' job, it's us, it's our job. Everyone on the team proclaims the same thing and the thing we proclaim is Jesus. Notice how it says him. It's a who, not a what. Paul doesn't instruct them what to proclaim, he instructs who they ought to proclaim. Proclaim's a weird word. Rarely do we say, like, I proclaim to you. No, proclaim's like, man, what are you all about, right? If I ask your friend, hey, what is, what are you, what's Jim all about? Oh, Jim likes this, Jim likes that, Jim talks a lot about this, Jim spends this with his free time, Jim spends his money on this, Jim does that, Jim does that. That's, that's what Jim proclaims. Okay, and notice, for Team Jesus, there's one thing we proclaim, it's a who? Team Jesus proclaims Jesus. Friends, in, in a context, in a culture, just the societal moment that we're in where everyone is so against one another, may the message we proclaim be Christ. Not red, not blue, not Democrat, not Republican, not masks are the best, not masks are dumb, not the CDC said this or the CDC said that. The message of the church, that team Jesus proclaims, it's Jesus, Jesus. Okay, may we be a people, instead of constantly finding ways to fight with other people and finding ways to divide, may we do what we can by preaching unity, preaching Christ. May that be our proclamation, Christ and Christ alone. How does he preach it? He says this, he says warning everyone, that's like evangelism, telling people about Jesus, telling them, man, listen, we're sinners, okay, and that's a problem, and and there's consequences for that. Right, the wages of sin's death, that's not good. But the gift of God, that's eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We, we tell them, we warn them. But man, Jesus is coming back and there will be a day that each and every one of us is judged. So we share Christ with them, we warn them. It says we teach, he teaches everyone. That's discipleship, right? That was the second part of the Great Commission. Baptizing them and then What? teaching them to obey the stuff that God told us to do, not memorize it, not put it on our T-shirts, not put it on our coffee cups, but to do it, to do the things that God is asking us to do. Then the third thing, he says, so we'd present everyone mature in Christ. I love this word, everyone, he keeps on using, because if I look at my own life, the everyones are the people I feel comfortable talking about Jesus with, right? The people who I think might be ready to respond, the people I'm in a small group with. But to Paul, the audience was everyone. If someone's in front of me, I'm gonna tell that person about Jesus. If they haven't been warned, I'm gonna warn them. If they haven't responded, I'm gonna warn them again. If it's someone I've previously warned and they have responded, now they're a Christian, I'm gonna teach them so that I can present them mature in Christ. This was Paul's mission, and Paul was on mission all the time. He says, for this, this warning, teaching, um, this, this presenting people mature, for this, for this proclamation that says, I toil, I struggled. The word toil means work to exhaustion. Work to exhaustion. The word struggle means to agonize. Okay, and when I think about the interactions I have with people, the things in life that I toil and I struggle that exhaust me and that I agonize over, it's not always the proclamation of Jesus. Right, i Paul was a tent maker. That's, that's hard work. Never do we see Paul talking about the agony that making tents caused him or how hard work was. His focus, his proclamation was always Christ and Christ alone. Friends, may each of us embrace that same type of attitude. May we do our job, the job that God's called us to do in our life, but when it comes to what we toil and struggle over, may it constantly be the proclamation of who Jesus is That's what God has called each and every one of us to. And notice this, he says, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me, there's the Christ in me lifestyle again. Where does my power come from to go do the job that God's called me to do? It comes from God himself. Each and every one of us has a position to play on the team. We each have a job to do. Each of us are supposed to participate in the mission of God. Do you know your position? If you do know it, are you doing it? Are you playing your part? If you don't know it and you want to know it, again, let me invite you back to that class October, four weeks, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. Um, parents with kids, we're going to figure out childcare stuff, so don't stress. If you want to come to that class, we're going to make a way for you to do that. Um, each and every one of us should be playing our part. Imagine that. Imagine a church where each and every one of us embrace the mission of Team Jesus. And then each and every one of us accepted the calling and said, God, I understand who I am. I understand how you've uniquely created me to be so that I can go and play my part. Highlands, what could happen? What could God accomplish through our church, our little community in North Scottsdale? What does God want to do through us when we accept the mission, when we accept our calling and say, do you know what, God? I'm all in. I'm all in. Church, may we be all in. May our life be completely about Christ and Christ alone. I'm going to invite the band up. Band, go ahead and come forward. Paul knew his position. He knew his position. Preach Christ to the Gentiles. He knew where his power came from. His power came through Christ. He knew his proclamation. His proclamation wasn't about what Rome is doing or other places are doing. His proclamation was Jesus. And he knew his purpose. His purpose was to the glory of God. May each of us live with that same purpose. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We are, we're honored to be on Team Jesus. God, you didn't give us a tryout. It's not like we had to do the right thing, say the right thing in order to be on the team. God, you just called us to be a part of the team and for that we're grateful. God, even this morning, would you continue revealing to people what their purpose is? What's their calling? What's the the unique work that you've given to them? God, how have you gifted them to go and do the thing that you've called them to do? Would you help them identify it so they can do it? And then would we do it for your glory and your glory alone? Jesus, we love you. And we pray all these things in your name and all God's people said, amen. We're going to close this morning and we're gonna sing a song how there's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing better than Jesus. Even Paul, when he suffered, he says, man, I rejoice in my suffering. I rejoice in my suffering, why? Because I can rejoice in my suffering when what I I gain is better than what I give up. And friends, what we gain is a relationship. We glorify Jesus. When we find ourselves in a, a season of suffering, a season of trial, a season of tragedy, whatever it may be, let us look to Christ and say, Christ, there is nothing better than you the best things our world has to offer, they fail in comparison to how good King Jesus is. So let's stand up, um, let's respond, and let's proclaim together that there truly is nothing better than Jesus. Maybe this morning for the first time, you want to place your trust and find hope in Jesus Christ. We would love to have you join Team Jesus with us. Um, I'll be down front. A few pastors, elders will be down here. We'd love to pray with you, help you grow in your faith, help you take your next step uh, on this life as we live it the best we can for the glory of Jesus. Highlands Church, may we embrace the position that Christ has called us to play. May we not live a Christ and us lifestyle. Would our power come from Christ in us? May our proclamation be Christ and Christ alone. And may the purpose be only for his glory. God is good. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.